Well, hello, faith family. If you've got a Bible or electronic device, I invite you, if you would, to please turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Today, we're going to be doing kind of a wrap-up of the series that we've been in the last several weeks, the last several months uh, in the book of Galatians entitled Set Free. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a couple of announcements up front. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you to be in prayer for me and a team from Bree. And in fact, uh, while you're hearing this message, we will be uh, in Asia working among uh, some unreached people groups, a ministry that we're very committed to uh, here at Berean. And so I would just ask that you would be in prayer for us, that, that, uh, that we would be fruitful for the gospel uh, where, where he is sending us. So just ask for your prayer. With that, I want to encourage you, as I do frequently, to, uh, to make sure at some point that you go on a mission trip. Uh, in 2018, we are offering several mission trips here with Berean. In fact, we've got one coming up, I believe it's in March, to the Dominican, uh, led by one of our elders, uh, Mark Colesrude. And so there are several other trips the rest of this year, and we just invite you to, to be involved in short-term missions uh, around the world. And so uh, you can go online and check with our Go Ministry and find out about those upcoming trips. Secondly, I want to share with you where we're going after this series. We're going to be starting a new series in February called The Grace Parade. And what I want to be teaching you is the, the fact that the Bible is kind of an unfolding story of God's radical and redemptive grace. That every story, every event, every character is an unfolding. It's a parade of the radical grace of of God. And so, in fact, this entire parade is going somewhere, Ephesians 2 tells us, and that is going to be an eternity where we glorify God for His grace. And so, I want us to approach the Scripture as a grace parade, and we're going to look at stories uh, and different characters from the aspect of God's radical grace. And so I want to encourage you to invite people to that series. Uh, this is kind of for the prodigal that ran away and the prodigal that stayed home. Both needed grace. And so this would be a great series to invite a friend to where they can hear uh, the beauty of our Father's love. So just a couple of things I wanted to share with you up front. Well, today we're going to kind of give a summary of our Set Free series, kind of a wrap-up to what we've been talking about, and which is very difficult for me to do. When you're looking at all six chapters, I'm thinking, how do I summarize what we've been spending four months looking at? And so uh, I trust that uh, just a few simple things will help us remember uh, all the transforming truth that God taught us through the book of Galatians. So let's go back to the beginning in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes this. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would uh, today teach us again what it means to be free. Uh, you've taught us 
so many wonderful things these last many weeks from this book. Uh, help us today kind of crystallize that in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, we want to live in the freedom you died for. Uh, and so I, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and take these words, take the Word of God, and teach us again um, what, it, what it means to be free. So I pray this all to the glory of Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was by far my favorite game uh, to play growing up as a kid. In fact, uh, even as a parent, it's still a game that I love to play with my children. And my guess is that uh, you've played it many times as well. It's that timeless game that we know as hide and seek. Now, the reason why I loved playing this game growing up was not the seeking part. In fact, I hated that. Uh, the reason why I loved the game hide and seek is because I loved being that one that found a place um, where nobody could find you. You know, like that special hiding place uh, that nobody, no matter how long they looked, were able to discover where you were. Well, that was me. Uh, that, that was what I always tried to do. Um, and, and in fact, just to give you a few examples of this, uh, and I'm being serious here. If I'm lying, I'm done. Um, one time, I took out all of the shelves in the refrigerator and hid inside the refrigerator. Uh, there was another time, not making this up, that I actually put a large garbage bag over me like then went upside down inside a garbage can like I was a pile of trash, okay? It's, it's amazing that I'm alive today, to be honest. And by the way, kids don't follow the example of your pastor, okay? But that was me. Those are just a couple examples about how I tried really, really hard to hide where no one could find me. I think that's why I've always loved the story in Robert Fulgram's book, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Uh, in that book, he describes a time when he observed some neighborhood children playing hide and seek. And this is one of my favorite illustrations. He writes, quote, did you have a kid in your neighborhood who always hid so good that nobody could find him? We did. And after a while, we would give up on him and go off, leaving him to rot wherever he was. Sooner or later, he'd show up, all mad because we didn't keep looking. And we'd get mad back because he wasn't playing the game the way it was supposed to be played. There's hiding and finding, we'd say. And he'd say, it's hide and seek, not hide and give up. And we'd yell about who made the rules and how we wouldn't play with him anymore if he didn't stop. But no matter what, the next time he'd hide too good again. He's probably still hidden somewhere right now for all I know. As I write this, the neighborhood game goes on. There's a kid under a pile of leaves in the yard just under my window. He's been there a long time and everyone else is found and they're about to give up on him over at the base. I considered going out and telling them where he's hiding. I thought about setting the leaves on fire just to drive him out. Finally, I just yelled, Get found, kid! Scared him so bad he probably wet his pants and ran home crying to his mother. 
Hide and seek. Wanting to hide, needing to be sought, confused about being found. I don't want anyone to know. What will people think? Ollie, ollie, oxen free, the kids in the street are hollering the cry that says, come on in, wherever you are, it's a new game. The truth is, faith family, that even when we grow up to be adults, we don't stop hiding. I thought about that story a lot as I've been teaching through the book of Galatians because my prayer has been that God would reveal to us what we've been hiding under. That that area in your life, that area in my life that's been hindering our freedom. For some of you, it's been exposed that you've been hiding under this need of approval from other people. Uh, Others of you, it's this hiding under some type of religious mask or man-made rules. Uh, Others of you, you've been hiding under your own efforts and hopes that maybe you could climb the hill. Maybe you could be good enough and earn favor with God. Others have been hiding under this shame of sin or addiction in your life. And for the past four months, the Spirit of God through the book of Galatians has been calling out to you, ollie, ollie, oxen free. Come on in. Wherever you're hiding, it's a new game. It's time to be free. It it is, I would submit to you, faith family, the way in which we need to think about the book of Galatians. The Galatians had been hiding under the law. Uh, Notice how many times the Apostle Paul uses that very phrase. For instance, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul will say, For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse in chapter 3 verse 22 but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin chapter 3 verse 23 but before faith came we were kept in custody under the law chapter 4 verse 2 but he is under guardians and managers that's the metaphor paul uses to describe the law until the date set by the father last one chapter 4 verse 5 so that he might redeem those who were under the law the galatians in a real sense had gone back under the law. It was a way of trying to cover up their sin, a way of trying to earn a better standing with God. And in doing so, they became slaves. In doing so, they entered into real bondage. So Paul, in this game of hide and seek, as the Galatians are hiding under the law, Paul is seeking after them with the gospel. Paul is coming out to them saying, hey, come out from wherever you're under. Come out from whatever you're hiding and experience the freedom of Christ. It's why Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Chapter 5, verse 13, you were called to freedom. 
That's the way I want us as we end this book to think about it. The, the Galatians are hiding, like many of us, under something, namely under the law. And Paul comes after them to call them out into freedom. So what are just a few lessons for us to learn, uh, kind of the big picture of the book of Galatians? What are three things? And trust me, it could easily be 15, because there are all kinds of profound truth in this book. But I just want to leave this series with three very simple truths, three very simple lessons. The first is this. I want us to understand that freedom is a real thing. Freedom is a real thing. In other words, when Paul is talking about this issue of freedom, when Paul is calling the Galatians out from under the law and into a life of freedom, he's not being hypothetical. He's being, he's calling them to something that's real. That's why he starts the book the way he does. Go back to chapter one and verse three, which we read a few moments ago, where he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. I've told you to underline this before. If you haven't underlined, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. In other words, what Paul is saying is that Jesus did something in time and space that an event happened, namely the cross and the resurrection. Jesus died, and a result of that is something real. It's effective, it's current, and Galatians, Bereans, it's to be lived in. It's a real thing. It's a reality that is to define our life. It's why later on he says it's for freedom Christ set you free. You remember in this series, we talked about the kind of the illustration of playing with the box rather than enjoying the prize or enjoying the gift. Uh, Jesus died for you to enjoy the gift of freedom. It is a reality. It's to be a reality for us as believers in Christ. In fact, I want to show you that this idea of freedom was really at the very heart and core of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, if you've got your Bibles or your electronic device, whatever you're using, flip over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now, just set the context here while you're turning over to that. Uh, this comes right out of uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, um, and he's entering into his public ministry. And so Jesus is just now kind of beginning his ministry in a public sense. And I want you to notice what's at the very beginning of it. Notice, for instance, Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. It says that uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit um, to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then he comes to Nazareth. So now he's coming to hometown where he'd been brought up. And as, he, as was the custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. I want you to feel a little bit of suspense here. So Jesus is coming back to his hometown for the first time of his public ministry. 
And he goes to the synagogue, he gets an opportunity to preach, an opportunity to teach, and there's a sense of, what's he gonna preach on? It's his first sermon back in the place where he was brought up. What, what will be his topic? Will it be sex? Will it be money? Will he preach on the book of Ecclesiastes? I could only wish. What, what, what topic is Jesus going to talk about? And then you notice that he's given, verse 17, Isaiah. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus is about to preach his first sermon in his hometown. We know it's going to come from Isaiah. So what's the text going to be? You might say, I know, I know. Isaiah chapter 53 he was wounded for our transgressions. That would be an awesome first sermon. Or what about Isaiah chapter 40, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That would be a fantastic first sermon. What about Isaiah chapter 6, uh, that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Or maybe Isaiah chapter 55, that come those who are thirsty, come and drink. And yet Jesus doesn't turn to any of those texts in Isaiah first. The first text that he goes to, the passage that he picks for his message is Isaiah 61 that reads like this. Look at Luke 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, and he has sent me, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, his very first sermon in his hometown, he goes straight to the passage in Isaiah where he says, I've been sent, I've been anointed, I have the Spirit of God on me. Why? To set captives free. The very heart of Jesus's ministry was freedom. And that's what Paul is saying at the beginning of Galatians 1. Do you not understand, Galatians, that Jesus came in time and space and at the core of his ministry was freedom? This is a real thing. It's not hypothetical. Because of what Jesus did, from the manger to the empty tomb, we are free from the world. We are free from the law. We are free from the curse of sin. We are free from the need to justify ourselves. Listen to how the apostles say it in Acts chapter 13 and verse 38. Let it be known to you that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you that through him, everyone who believes, notice this, is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Faith family, look right here. Freedom in Christ is a real thing. We're not talking about kind of a something someday. This is a reality purchased for us through the cross, it is real. That's why in this series, I have said a thousand times, at least, we're not here to talk about freedom. We're here to experience freedom because it's a real thing. But even though it's a real thing, notice secondly that freedom can be a forgotten thing. 
Just because freedom is a real thing doesn't mean that we walk in it. Uh, Look back at uh, Galatians chapter 1 and now read to verse 6. So he comes out of the gate saying, this freedom is a real thing. Jesus died, delivers from the present evil age. And then verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is the entire reason for this letter, isn't it? Let me say it this way. Paul writes this letter for this reason. The Galatians ain't living in the freedom they've been given. They're not living in the freedom they've been given. And so one of the lessons we've got to learn, faith family, I'm so desperate that we learn this lesson. It's at the heart of what we're talking about. Notice it on the screen that just because you are free does not mean you're living free. Freedom is a real thing, but freedom can be a forgotten thing. It can be something that we drift away from. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. You know, I do not believe the Bible teaches that at all. I do not think that is faithful to the gospel. In fact, the letter of Galatians is not talking about losing your salvation. It's talking about losing your freedom. Just because it's a real thing doesn't mean you're living in it. I shared with you at the beginning of this series uh, the story of the Texas slaves um, after the Emancipation Proclamation was given, where their freedom was actually given in 1863, but they, the, the slaves in Texas, did not get news of it until 1865. When they got news, they celebrated, and then after they celebrated, they intentionally chose to continue as slaves. Why? It's all they'd ever known. It's, it's the only life they'd ever known. You see, it's one thing to celebrate the freedom. I mean, we can come here and we can, woohoo, amen, and, and, and I believe that, and that sounds great, and, and all this like makes sense, and then walk out and not live in it. And that's what's happening with the Galatians. It's a real thing, but they've drifted away from it because sometimes you're so used to Egypt, you can't imagine the promised land. It sounds good, but to live there sounds unreasonable. It sounds another world. And so we drift and we forget what Christ has done. Now, in the book of Galatians, there are two ways that we tend to drift or two ways that we forfeit our freedom. These are the kind of the, the extremes, the dangers that, that when we're not walking in the freedom that is real in Christ, we're, we're kind of moving to one side or the other. The first is the drift towards legalism the drift towards legalism. We've talked a lot about this uh, in this series. Uh, The drift towards legalism. Now, what's legalism? Legalism is simply the idea that you're using your good works to earn God's favor. Let me say that again. Legalism is simply the idea that you're using your good works to earn God's favor. And your good works could be anything. It could be church traditions. It could be the, the Old Testament law. It could be a host of things that you've made up Uh, that, that you've added to faith in Christ, that if you do that with Jesus, then you'll earn favor. You'll earn a right status. You'll be a better Christian than someone else. That's what 
legalism is. Uh, And now Paul has addressed how the law works in the life of a Christian. And so let's get this right again as we leave the book of Galatians. Go to chapter 3 and verse 23. Chapter 3 and verse 23 where Paul gives us this right perspective of works or law. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that he might be just, we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. We don't need the babysitter anymore. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In other words, here's the point. Notice it on the screen. The law was given not to be good, but to prove you're not good, nor am I. It wasn't given to keep. It was given to expose that we can't keep it and are desperately in need of God's grace. So when you go to the law to add it to Christ, you're actually not using the law the way it was intended. You've, you've drifted into legalism and you've lost your freedom. You see, that's the tendency is running to something to add that makes me feel like I've earned God's favor in some way. But you've missed the entire point of the law. You've missed the entire point of good works. How many of you have ever played that game, uh, Mercy? Anybody ever played that game, you know, where you like grab somebody else's uh, hands and fingers and try to like inflict upon them as much pain as possible until somebody cries out, mercy, right? And so game over, I I, I, I lose. It's a way of kind of ending the game because you realize you've lost. I, I want you to think about the law in that way. In other words, the law came to put so much pressure on you to live up to that you would have to cry out, mercy, I can't, I can't do this. There's no way I can live up. I I can't be that perfect dad. I can't be that perfect spouse. I can't be that perfect child. I can't be that perfect Christian. I know this was never meant to be about your goodness. It's always meant to be about his grace. You're like, Freedom's a real thing, but you're not living in it when you drift off course into legalism and feeling like your goodness earns a status with God. Our default in our heart is law. Happens all the time. There's a million examples for it. Our default is law. What I do, what I don't do, what I not do, what I do, that is not the gospel. Is not the gospel. That's not the freedom you've been called to. It's why Paul uh, does not have um, nice language for anybody that tries to go the legalism route, that tries to add something to, that tries to think that uh, what they do earns favor with God. So for instance, he says to anyone preaching another gospel, let them be accursed in chapter one. That's, that's strong language. Let them be damned is what Paul says. To Peter, In chapter 2, he says, I opposed him to his face in the presence of all. The Judaizers, well, we all know what Paul had to say about the Judaizers, you'll remember. I wish that they would emasculate themselves. 
In other words, Paul does not have any room for anything that, that tries to be added to the gospel because the gospel's worth defending. Because if you don't defend the gospel, you won't walk in freedom. So I thought about here's a new motto, if you will, for us at Berean. Here's our new kind of Berean motto. Notice it on the screen. If it's not the gospel of grace, it's not welcome in this place. Right, I'm trusting a bunch of amens were said right there, right? If it's not the gospel of grace, it's not welcome in this place. And I said it. I'm not talking about people. Legalists are welcome here. We want legalists here because we want you to be saved out of legalism. Amen? So we're not talking about people. We're talking about message. We don't want any message in this faith family that is not the gospel message, namely the gospel of grace. So that's the first drift, right? The, the flow of, of what I want you to get is freedom is a real thing, but it can be a forgotten thing. You can drift from it. And one of the ways you drift from it is into legalism. The second drift that we see in the book of Galatians that really balances the scale is the drift towards liberalism. Now, again, by liberalism, we're not talking political liberalism. We're just saying the idea that I'm going to live however I want to live. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm free, man. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Didn't you hear what pastor has been preaching for four months? He says, we're free, so who are you to tell me how to live? Well, Paul says, not so fast. That's not exactly what Christian freedom is. Look at chapter 5 and verse 13. Chapter 5 of Galatians in verse 13. It says, you are called to freedom, brothers. So yes, amen, you are called to freedom, no doubt about that. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that is, for you. But through love, serve one another. You see, the danger of preaching a gospel of grace is everybody wants to take advantage of grace, which just simply proves they don't understand grace. Paul says, like for instance in Romans 6, how can we who've been saved from sin want to live any longer in it? I mean, when you understand God's grace, that motivates you to obedience, not disobedience. When you understand grace, you don't have a flippant attitude about your Christian life. And so Paul says, don't take advantage of the grace that you've been given. Uh, don't take advantage of your freedom because that's not real freedom. Notice this on the screen. Hopefully this will be helpful. That freedom in Christ is to live for Christ. Freedom in Christ is to live for Christ. That is, not to live for yourselves. Now, let me just say this quickly. I'll get asked a lot of times about the issue of free will. Always a, a, a hot topic. Not the, like the whale. That's free will-y, okay? I'm talking about free will. And everybody wants to know, like, do people have free will? And they want to debate about this stuff and, and, and what have you. And so they'll come up to me and they'll ask me about this and... and um, um, I'll always say the idea of free will that most people uh, think about when they think of free will is illogical. Here's what I mean. Most people think by the idea of free will, don't worry, I'm going somewhere. Uh, they think this idea of free will is that they're like a blank slate of neutrality that can do anything. But that, that's not logical at all. If I put before you a cup of coffee and a cup of tea and I said, pick one, uh, you would choose based on your desires. 
If you were godly, you'd choose coffee. If not so much, you'd choose tea, okay? Okay, I'm just kidding, all right? Uh, You can send me emails about that. My, My point is to say, you're not sitting there as some blank slate of neutrality saying, well, it could be anything. You will pick one because you desire one more than the other. And even if you said, well, I'd pick both. Why? Because you desire both. My point is this. You are making decisions not as a blank slate of neutrality. You are making decisions based on your desires. Point, your freedom in Christ is to serve Christ because your desires are now for Christ. You don't have the desire to say, oh, I just want to go live however I want to live. No, your desire has been changed. I want to live for Christ. That's freedom. That's freedom. So you have to understand that this kind of, well, I think freedom is my desire to do whatever I want to do. You don't understand gospel freedom. We are always choosing based on desires, and those that have been freed in Jesus desire more than anything Jesus. So freedom's a real thing. Christ purchased it. It's at the heart of his ministry. But just because freedom is a real thing doesn't mean we're always living in it. It can be a forgotten thing just like the Galatians. And the drift can either be towards legalism, I'm going to trust in my works, or it can be towards liberalism, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And here's why both are slavery. Here's why both legalism and liberalism slavery in light of the gospel. Notice this on the screen. The problem with legalism and liberalism is they both focus on self instead of Savior. They both focus on self instead of Savior. It's what I do over here that I'm adding so that I can feel like, okay, God loves me more. Or it's whatever I want to do because after all, I'm free and who can tell me how to live. Both have at their center self. The gospel has at its center, Savior, Christ. So the gospel or the the freedom of the gospel is a real thing, amen? But it can be a forgotten thing. We can drift from it. So it's very, very important that we as a faith family keep the gospel front and center so that we don't drift. Now, here's a third and final thing that I want us to learn from the book of Galatians, and that is freedom is a real thing. It can be a forgotten thing. And lastly, it's a group thing. Freedom is a group thing. I'm not going to spend much time here because I preached just two weeks ago on the bear one another's burdens passage. And so I'm trusting that that's still pretty fresh. If not, you can go back uh, and watch that uh, online. But I do want to remind us how after like four chapters, four, four and a half chapters of just unbelievable theology. Paul is laying it down as to how that justification is by faith alone and not by works. And he is giving argument after argument after argument, making it absolutely clear that the only way you're free is by faith in Jesus. But he turns at the end of the book in the last basically chapter, chapter and a half, and applies it all 
to relationships. He talks about one another and how we relate to one another. So, so the big picture is freedom's a real thing. You have forgotten it, and you need one another to stay faithful in it. Notice chapter 6 and verse 2. Uh, we'll read this just quickly. Chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, uh, Brothers, if anybody's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So somebody's enslaved. Somebody's caught up. Somebody's walking in bondage. Well, then you have a responsibility to restore them. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which we've already shown you the law of Christ is love. In other words, what we've said multiple times is that freedom is a community project. Freedom requires others in the faith being involved in your life. If you're going to be free, we need one another because we can drift because we can forget and not be experiencing the real thing that Christ has purchased for us. The, the best way for me to summarize this, and when, when I wrote this, I was like, man, like, this is, I think, brings it all together. I hope that it will, it will um, encourage you and speak to you. Notice this. Every Galatian needs a Paul. Every Galatian needs a Paul. We all need letters like this. We all need conversations like this. We all need sermons like this. Because we need one another to walk in freedom. We need those individuals like Paul does in this letter that are willing to say, it's my business. Your freedom is my business, and I love you too much to let you live in slavery. Someone that will say, we will not yield in subjection for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel should remain with you. Like Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So keep standing firm, Galatians. I'm getting in your drill. Keep standing firm and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Brothers and sisters, freedom is a real thing, but freedom can be a forgotten thing. And that's why we must see freedom as a group thing. Why? Because lives are on the line. Marriages are on the line. Churches are on the line. Our joy in God is on the line because the mission of this church is not to play church, but to see our lives transformed and set free by the power of the gospel. Because we want to hear and celebrate like the testimonies we've heard throughout this series. For instance, for the first time, I'm starting to experience what it's like to let go of my efforts and trust God. No longer am I giving control to my boss, my paycheck, my parents, my friends. I'm experiencing 
experiencing what it means to live a new life of freedom. Or God wants me to enjoy being satisfied in his presence. Stop cooking, Martha. Get out there and be with Jesus. Or today was like a light entering a dark room. Hope started to enter my soul. I can stop performing and rest in the love of Abba, Father. Or what about this one? When you spoke of all of us being sons instead of sons and daughters, I felt a wall crack inside. God sent a clear sign that when he found me, he'd made me into a treasured son and heir, not an unwanted daughter. The wall came down. And I'm writing this with tears streaming down my face. I finally understand how much he loves me. Or what about this one? For the last 10 years, I've been a slave seeking the approval of a family member, but now I've experienced true freedom and my life has changed. I've never experienced Jesus like this before. Or what about this one? I didn't walk into your church with hope, but as I sat there listening to the message of freedom, my heart felt hope. I cried in my seat as I realized God had not forsaken me. I had forsaken God. I could be free if I would put my trust in him. I thank God for bringing me to your church. You helped a prodigal daughter come home. Or another one that said, I feel a mountain has been lifted in my life. The pressure of performance is gone. Or I've been praying for months that God would help me understand my identity. Every week he strips away another lie. I'm in the middle of the process of being set free. Or what about this one? When I got out of my car Saturday night for the first time in a long time, I could breathe, breathe knowing that my salvation is not based on rules, but the God of the universe actually loves me. Thank you, Jesus. This series has helped an old Christian of 50 plus years to be free indeed. It has renewed my daily walk with Jesus. And then this last one, I had been miserably, miserably depressed for 10 years and at times begged God to take my life. Now I have so much joy. I feel it pouring out of me. I wear an amazing grace ring to remind me that my chains are gone and I've been set free. The gospel has transformed my life. Oh, faith family, freedom is a real thing. And no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, and no matter what you're hiding under, the good news of the gospel cries out to you today, ollie, ollie, oxen free. Come on in. Wherever you are, it's a new game. Because when the Son has set you free, faith family, would you say it with me? You are free indeed. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this book that we have been able the last many weeks to study together. Thank you for the fact that in Christ, freedom is a real thing. That, that what I have just proclaimed today is not hypothetical, 
It's not pie in the sky. It's not someday, maybe one day. It's real. It's what Jesus came to do. And he did it and he provides it that captives could be set free. Oh, but how we can easily drift from it and forget uh, what the life of freedom is all about. And so we need sermons. We need uh, books like Galatians. We need friends. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into our life that we would keep walking in the freedom that is real. And I pray um, that now as we close this series, that if there's that person here that still has not tasted of the freedom in Jesus, that today would be that day. If they don't know you as Savior, if they've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that today they would turn from self and put their faith in a Savior, that they would say, mercy, I give up. I can't do this. You win. And that they would surrender and experience your beautiful grace. Others are Christians, but we've drifted, and I just pray that uh, this series will help us realign our life and to keep aligned our church on the good news of the gospel that is our freedom. In Christ's name, amen.